Good evening. In just a minute, we're going to show one of the videos, but I just wanted to explain this video is, you'll see the title is Justice, uh, but you'll see my sermon tonight is on love. And the reason for that is uh, last week, Chad wasn't able to get to justice. And so sort of how this series that we're using goes, that it builds upon each other. And so you can just take this video as my introduction, because when I talk about love, when we look at love, we, we need to understand justice first. So I think this video does a great job of explaining it. And so after the video, I'll come back up and speak. A personal love for God and how we live in the world. The Old Testament prophet Amos holds them both together. One without the other is simply unimaginable. But we find him writing to a relatively prosperous Israel in the 8th century B.C. that has picked one over the other. They have chosen to continue with the observance of the religious duties while neglecting the ways in which they are called to play out their faith. The result is a harsh reply from God himself. Listen in as God rebukes his own people for their shallow and formal religion. I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. God's rejection of their empty religiosity is thorough. He rejects their religious gatherings wholesale. He rejects all of their sacrifices. He rejects their burnt offerings, which were meant to demonstrate their total submission to God and bring about atonement, forgiveness for their sins. He rejects their grain offerings, which were a means of saying thank you to God for supplying all their needs. He rejects their peace offerings, which were meant to bring about reconciliation between them and God. And he rejects their praise and worship songs. Why is God so fed up with their empty religiosity? It's because God does not want his people publicly acting like they are in right relationship with Him when their lives are serving as evidence to the contrary. He does not want them to make a show of their connection to Him when their lives are pointing to a tragic disconnect. We can understand God's frustration on this point because we don't like hypocrisy either. We don't like it when people say one thing and do another. We hate it when people make false claims for themselves and yet the last place that we are willing to see hypocrisy is in our own lives. We can become experts at spotting empty religiosity in others, holding them to rather high standards. But we may also tend to be expert defenders of our own reputation, giving ourselves more leeway than we would extend to others. Here is the question that no one wants to ask. What if Amos 5:21 through 23 applies to us, to me? just as much as it did to Amos' original audience. Is it possible that my church and my life exhibit the same kind of empty religiosity that makes God so angry? Amos tells the people that God is angry with them 
because they had boiled down their relationship with him to the observable and the manageable. They had become experts at executing all of the necessary rituals of their faith. But they were failures at living out the realities of their faith. God says that the vitality of their faith is not to be tested by how exciting, enthusiastic, or precise their worship meetings are. The true test is whether they treat others with justice and compassion, especially the poor, weak, and vulnerable. God had delivered them from sin, and yet they were sinning against others. God had delivered them from oppression, and yet they were oppressing others. In short, they were living unjust lives that failed to reflect the just and righteous God who had called them His own. What did God want in place of their empty religiosity? What is the missing element that would have made their worship pleasing to God? What does true religion look like? Look at verse 24. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The first half of the verse tells us that God wants abundant justice to characterize His people. The water metaphor tells us two things. First, justice is absolutely essential. It is not an accessory or a supplement. Just as we cannot live without water, God's people cannot live without justice. Second, righteousness and justice are refreshing. A life of justice is like a revitalizing stream in an arid climate. Unlike injustice, which repels and drives away, justice attracts and invites. The second half of verse 24 tells us that God also wants consistent righteousness to characterize His people. Righteousness is to be ever-flowing. Israel was being called to be a dependable reflection of God's righteous character in the world. People should be able to look at God's people and get an idea of what God is like. There are two ends of this spectrum of thinking about the gospel and social engagement. At one end, there are those who are very concerned about personal devotion. In extreme cases, these Christians focus on individual spirituality to the exclusion of any public engagement, perhaps thinking that any contact with the world is to be avoided. You might say that these individuals live their Christian lives without much reference to matters of justice in the wider world. In fact, they may even be suspicious of Christians who care deeply about these matters. At the other end of the spectrum... There are those who are very concerned about social matters. In extreme cases, these Christians focus on the renewal of society to the exclusion of personal devotion and evangelism. You might say that they live their lives focused on what is happening externally without much reference to what is happening internally. They may also be somewhat suspicious of Christians who seem overly focused on personal devotion and heart transformation. Both of these approaches miss the target. God desires neither a faithless justice nor a justice-less faith. He desires faith that is expressed in the pursuit of justice. Justice that is undergirded and propelled by faith. 
The two are inextricably bound up with one another. And wherever one is absent, it is time to revisit the gospel and reflect deeply on all of its rich implications for our lives. Well, if you have your Bibles tonight, you can turn to 1 John chapter 3. We'll be in, starting off in verse 11. So 1 John chapter 3. And this first, I want to uh, apologize for my voice. I have a head cold, and so I apologize if that's a distraction or, or if I'm not speaking loudly enough. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, but uh, I just... I know that the Lord will help me through this. Um, so if you uh, watch that video, if you were here last week, uh, you saw how uh, Pastor Chad talked about shalom, right? Shalom is, is peace. It's, it's the peace that we can have with God. And so that's when the world was created, it had the perfect shalom. And so, but we can still have that perfect peace through faith in Christ. So, so that was really what... The message of shalom was, but the world is broken. And so what he just talked about there is, is the justice. Um, you know, and, and when you think about when God looks at justice, right, that, that sin must be dealt with. And so a just God must deal with that sin on us. And so even though we're deserving sinners, he sent his son to take the punishment for us. And so because of that, what he just shared in the video, what then do Christians look like? And so in the message tonight, and the Apostle John is going to touch on this, is so in one aspect, Christians should act justly. And another aspect of what Christians should look like and act like is, is with love. And really love is, is at the heart um, of, of what we are as believers. So let me read the passage and then we'll pray and then we'll get started. So 1 John uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 11, it says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Let's pray. God, we just ask that you would help us tonight to understand this passage. Uh, this can be a, a difficult passage. Uh, to It can be very convicting to us. So, Lord, just help us to, to understand it, to understand your truth of what you have done for us, that the love you've shown for us so that we can show that for our brothers. Lord, just help us tonight. Um, just to not think about love, but to act on it. Um, to not just love 
in word or talk, but indeed in truth. And so just help us as we walk through this tonight and just have your spirit open up our minds. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, so this is the Apostle John writing. He's writing, this is one of his later letters. He's writing to the church. He's writing to believers. And so if, if, you re, if you've ever read um, all of 1 John, what, what he's saying, he's, he's essentially just reminding his people. I mean, this is a very pastoral letter that he's writing. He's just reminding them, this is, this is the same things I've told you. He's, he's calling them back to the gospel. He's calling them back to what he's been teaching them from the beginning. And so he, he says throughout this whole, this whole letter, you know, I remind you, I remind you. Um, and so again, in, in starting in verse 11, he says, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, this message, that we should love one another. And n- now this message that he says you've heard from the beginning, that you should love one another, is this really the message that we think of when this is the message that we hear at first? Because is it when we say we, we hear the gospel or we hear about Jesus, isn't it believing that Jesus is the Christ? I mean, even John in his, in his uh, gospel that he wrote um, said he wrote it so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that he came to save us from our sins. But yet, you can see here and you can see in the gospel of John, too, that this is the message that he taught. This is the message that Christ taught. So if you, you don't have to turn there, but if you look back in, in the Gospel of John, in John 13, Jesus is at the Last Supper, and he, gives, he says this in John 13, 34, and 35. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So again, this is, John is just repeating the same message that he heard from Jesus. And again, Jesus says in John 15, when he's talking about abiding in him, right? We, we abide in Christ. We are in Christ. If you are in Christ, he says in John 15:12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. So again, it's, this is the message that John has for the people. He said, remember this. Remember that it's loving one another. And so the first point I want to look at tonight is who are the one another? Because this is very important. So when we talk about love, when we talk about biblical love, it, it's always in, in the Bible, it's always in terms of loving one another. That's what the apostles are, are spreading. It's loving one another. Jesus commands his own apostles to love one another. So who are the one another? It's Christians. It's for those people who are in Christ. So again, love doesn't end here. This is why it's so important. Love doesn't end with us loving one another, but has to begin with loving one another. So because a lot of times when we we talk about, okay, what's the most important thing to focus on? We don't usually think about loving one another. But yet this is what John wants to remind them of. This is this whole section that I'm going to talk about tonight is interesting because John is telling them it's the first thing you need to remember is love one another. It starts with love. No, I mean, isn't it important to think about what, you know, what about missions? What about evangelism? What about telling other people about Jesus? You know, what, what about, you know, reaching out to others? 
and I, and I think the point, which we'll look at, um, and, and this is the point I think that he's trying to make throughout all this, is because everything else is going to fall short. It's, it's going to be pointless if you don't first have love for one another. If you don't have that love that Christ has for us for one another, then evangelism will fall short. Missions will fall short. Your mercy ministries will fall short. It will all fall short without love. It's just, he's just saying the same thing Paul is in 1 Corinthians 13. Even Paul says, if, if you don't have love, then you're just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, right? Even, even, if you give your, if, even if you give your body up to be burned, if you have not love, it, it's pointless. It's, it's nothing. So it has to start with believers. And specifically, I think, to he's, he's writing to and with us here, it, it's in the local church. That's where the love starts. And so he goes on to what he's going to do here is show us He's sort of going to define love and then show us how we do it. And so he goes into verse 12. And so point two tonight really is, is the contrast of love. How do we know love? A lot of times you can explain something by showing its opposite. So what John does here is he shows the opposite of what love is. It's murder. So he says in verse 12, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, the world, that the world hates you. So in order to try and show what love is, he gives the example of Cain. Right? This is Cain from the book of Genesis, um, Adam and Eve's son that killed his brother Abel. So if you are, have been in Sunday school and your class is going through Genesis, you've probably have talked about this and looked at this recently. And so one of the things you know is that it's, it doesn't, the story doesn't really tell you why Cain did what he did. It doesn't give you a lot of details. But John does. John actually gives us even more details than Moses did in the book of Genesis. So he said, you know, why did Cain murder him? It's because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So he's saying is Cain was evil. And so he acted on that evil and murdered his brother. So, so the evil was inside of him. The, the evil was already there. That's why, he was, that's why he murdered his brother. And so, um, and so you, you can see that John is showing here, and you, you can see in the book, if you read the book of Genesis too, that Cain, when he murders his brother Abel, he murders his brother, but his anger... That hatred that was in his heart was directed really towards God. So he may have murdered his brother, but what he was trying to do was defy God because he was angry. He was angry that his sacrifice, that his own, what he thought was his sacrifice giving to God was not accepted. And, and that's what John's saying. He's like, don't be surprised when, when the world acts like this. But it's also, so again, it, and so if you think about Cain, because um, a lot of, we were just studying this in Genesis, and most commentators, when you read the passage, um, the way that Cain murdered Abel was that he slit his throat. And so it's, I mean, an act of defiance towards God. Like, so he's, Cain is essentially saying to God, you want a sacrifice? It's like, here's a sacrifice. And he kills his brother. And, and so, again, you see that, I mean, this is the opposite of love, this defiance towards God, this hatred, this anger. And so he shows it and he says, so don't be surprised when the world acts like this. 
Um, but just one thing, and I'm not going to have time to really go into this, but just one thing to think about is Cain, when we think about Cain as the opposite of love, Cain was not a pagan. Cain was a worshiper of God. He came, when he brought a sacrifice, he came to worship. So outwardly, he was a worshiper of God. Outwardly, he was in the church. He, he was outwardly, you know, one of the brothers. And I think John is, is showing that to say it's not just the people outside. It's they, could, they could be right inside. They, they could be outwardly um, religious. They could be outwardly worshiping. But inside, they're full of hate. Just, I mean, look at those who persecuted the early Christians, those who crucified Christ. They were religious people. They were, they were those who acted like they believed in God, but they failed the test of love. And so this is sort of the, the second point we want to come to tonight. Of, so then what is, so this is the opposite of love, so what is love? And so verse 14, so we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not abides in death, or whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So, so here he's saying, you know you have life. So, okay, so how do we know that we're Christians? How do we know? Because if, if you read in other parts of 1 John, he's talking a lot about assurance. And actually, if, you, if we continued on in verses 19 through the end of chapter 3, He's talking about assurance. He's saying, he's, he's trying to comfort the people, really, is, is his whole point. He's, be comforted, because you, you know you love the brothers. You know that you were dead, and now you're alive. And, and so notice that he says, you know, it's like we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. And now it's important to see that he says, so they were dead. He says, this isn't something natural that comes from you. It's like you know you were dead and you were alive because the love that's inside of you, that love that you have for the brothers is not natural. It doesn't come from our natural sinful hearts. You know that your heart is naturally sinful. That love can only come from Christ. That love can only come from the spirit that's living inside of you. He's saying you know you have that because whoever does not love abides in death. So again, he, he's, he's contrasting. He's showing this is clear. This is who, who is in Christ and who is not, if you have love or if you have hate. And so, again, it's, love is an evidence of faith. It's not, it's not a justification. We're not justified because we love. It's, it's not that we love one another, so that makes us Christians. It's we're Christians, so we love one another. It's not that we have to work harder at loving one another. It's, it's a natural progression of our faith, uh, of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Um, so, so now, uh, verse 15, and this is, this is a hard verse. So again, he says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So again, he, he's assuring the people that they're, Christians, but then he says everyone who hates his brother. So this goes beyond what he said before, because Cain murdered, he physically murdered his brother. But now he's saying if you have hate in your heart, that you're no different than Cain. That if you have hatred 
for your brothers, that you're no different than Cain. No, you can see he's just echoing what Jesus said in Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount. In, in Matthew 5:21 and 22, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And now John is taking this, you know, in the same way. And he's, I mean, this is a very clear statement. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so, what, you know, what is hate? I mean, hate isn't the act of, the action from hate that comes from hate is murder. But not everyone who has hate in their heart goes and murders people. I mean, and I think with, confidence i can say there's no one here that's murdered anyone tonight physically or attempted to murder anybody physically but but i think if we're honest we can all say that we, that we have that hate we've we have at least the seeds of hate in our heart i mean hatred is as one writer put it hatred is the wish that the other person was not there it is the refusal to recognize his rights as a person the longing that he might be dead it's, it's saying that life would be easier if that person didn't exist. I mean, that, that's the seeds of hate. And yet, what John is saying is, this, is, it's in these, these, this hate is in the body. It's in the church. It's like, you, you can't have that in the church. And so then, so again, he, he goes through and gives you the contrast. And, I mean, I... I have to move on now, but again, it's if the message that he, he's trying to show here is if you have this unrepentant sin, if you have this unconfessed sin of hate in your heart, of bitterness, of anger in your heart toward your brothers and sisters, really toward anybody, but specifically toward your brother and sisters, you, aren't, you don't have eternal life abiding in him. It's, it's impossible. Life cannot exist with death. If you have that in your heart. So again, it's what hope do we have? <laughs> you know, what is our hope? If, if, we, if we all see ourselves really as sinners, then what hope? And so verse 16, he gives us the hope and he, and he gives us what love really is. And so verse 16, he says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So again, Love is, this is such a huge and hard topic to, to define. And, and even it was, for them back then it was too. And, and so John lovingly gives him exactly what he means by love. Um, you know, it's easy for us in our culture, just to, a lot of times people define love as a feeling. Uh, they, they define it as even just a thought, a, thought, a feeling of pity towards something or a thought that you care about something. But John makes it very clear. No, it is partly that, but it doesn't end there. John makes it clear that love here, the love that Christ had for us was an action. Right? Christ acted on that love. He laid down his life for us. And this is so important because so, so the love we have for one another isn't just, it's not a feeling of pity toward each other. It, it, it's not just a thought, but it's, it's, those, it's the thought and feeling taking it, manifesting itself in action. 
And that's, so we are to take that example of Christ because he laid down his life for us. And this, this idea where he says he laid down his life for us, that's the same language that John uses when he's quoting Jesus in John 10 when he talks about the good shepherd. When Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Um, it's that same idea here, and I think it's really important because if you think about that passage, uh, we were just studying it in Sunday school last year, and something that, something that really struck me was that love that Jesus is explaining, that he's the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, you know, he's not like the hired hand who doesn't. Well, the, the people who are listening to that, even the disciples, when they thought about a shepherd laying down his life for a sheep, no shepherd laid his, down his life for a sheep, right? The shepherds would have just taken their losses. You know, even when Jesus is talking about uh, the parable of the lost sheep, you know, even the prodigal son, that love that he's explaining is not logical to us, especially to sinful, selfish hearts. That love is not logical, Right? You know, you know, uh, what shepherd lays down his life for a sheep? A bad shepherd. <laughs> a shepherd, um, you know, you just, you know, your sheep are commodities. You, you lose a few sheep here and there. You're not going to risk your life for your sheep. But Jesus does. And that's what he's saying. His love for us is, is so deep that we can't even explain. So he, think about it. He, he loved us. When we think about the love he has for us. He laid down his life for us. We didn't ask for him to lay down his life for us. We didn't even know that we needed him to lay down his life for us. But yet he did. And so that love right there is the love we are to have for one another. That love that Christ had for us is how we are to show our love in action toward one another. So again, the love that we are to have for one another means a readiness to do anything for other people. It means saying no to our own life as Christ did so that somebody else may live. It's laying down our wants, our needs, even our rights so that someone else may live. And so again, it's, it's what, is, what is the end goal of our love, right? What was the end goal of Christ's love so that we would be saved, so that we could glorify him, live with him forever? And that should be our goal. Our goal in love should be the same that Jesus came to die for us. So, again, it's we are loving people for a purpose. It's, we're not just loving people to love them. We're loving them so that they know Christ. We're loving them so that they walk, grow in their walk with Christ. We want to see people go from death to life. We don't want to see people live in sin. And so, again, it, it doesn't end in the church, but it always has to start in the church with loving one another. So I'll just, just three practical things that I think are right here in the text that we'll wrap it up tonight with. So, again, how, how, how do we do this? How do we, what are some practical ways we show this? And I think John gives us a couple great examples. So first that I think is implied here, because when you, when you really think about Christ laying down his life for us, the first thing we do with loving others practically is we have to know them, right? We, ha- we have to know- You can't love somebody from a distance. You can't love somebody if you don't know that person, right? 
we, we have to be in their life. We, we have to know them. It's, especially in our culture, I mean, our culture seems to be more and more isolated. Like, we love to be isol- isolated, right? It's easy to say we love somebody when we, they keep their distance from us, right? It's easy to say we love people when we're not involved in any of their problems. We really don't know what they struggle with. We don't know what they need. But yet Christ, because if we take to, to take the example of Christ, he came to us. Right. I mean, just we're just getting done with Christmas. Just think about the idea of Jesus coming as a baby to this to us. I mean, God look down. I mean, just read the Bible. We sinned and rebelled against God continuously. Right. He, he should just destroy us. He should have just destroyed us every single time. But he didn't because he loved us. And not only did he love us enough to send his son, but he sent his son to identify with us. Right? Jesus came. He's faced temptations, the same temptations we do. He suffered. Right? He walked with us. He walked with his disciples. I mean, look at the men he chose to be his disciples. They weren't easy people for him to teach. They weren't easy people for him to get along with. You know? They kept messing up again and again and again. They weren't comforting to him, but yet he identified them. And, and so the same thing with us, if, if we were to take that, we don't love people from a distance. We have to be involved in their lives. We, we ourselves have to be vulnerable to other people. You know, we have to reach out to other people. And that means loving hard people, too. It doesn't mean loving people who are just like us. And so he goes on in verse 17 and 18 and says, But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So again, right there, if you have the world's good and see your brother in need and do nothing, then how does God's love? I mean, he's just asking the question. He's saying, how can that you know, how can God's love abide in you if everything, because everything we have, any material possession that we have, our money or our house, our cars, anything is from God. That, that's, that's the truth of what we have. It's given to us. And one of the ways God gives us that is to take care of our brothers and sisters in Christ first. That's what he's saying. So if you have the world's goods, take care of them. I mean, one great example is from uh, an ancient writer um, from the second century who's writing to uh, the emperor of Rome explaining Christians. And this is what he says of Christians. He says, speaking of Christians, they abstain from all impurity in the hope of the recompense that is to come in another world. When there is among them a man that is poor and needy, and if they have not an abundance of necessities, they fast two or three days that they may supply the needy with the necessary food. Such is the law of the Christians, and such their conduct. So again, you can see, I mean, this has been the mark of Christians throughout all of church history. It's this mark of, we have to, you know, what John is saying is, when you see someone in need, you take care of that need, even if it means sacrifice. Because what did Christ do? He sacrificed everything for us. And so we, we sacrifice for our brothers and sisters. We, sac- we, give them phys- we take care of them physically, emotionally, and spiritually, because the end goal is spiritually, but sometimes what people need is food or shelter. 
I mean, some, you know, it's, we need to take care of physical needs too. So we take care of them sacrificially, compassionately, and, and we love them. Again, it's, we love them not based on how they treat us. Um, whether someone treats us well, whether someone else helps us with our needs, we are to love one another the same way Christ loved us. We didn't deserve Christ's love. We didn't deserve it. But yet, actually we'd rebelled against him. But yet he loved us. And so that's how we are to do. And so the last thing is, uh, so, so we love indeed. So we don't just talk about it, but we love in action, indeed. And the last thing is in, in truth, which is, you know, an interesting one that we don't have time to fully get into. But again, the, the idea here is, is that we have to love in the truth. What is truth? Truth is the gospel that Christ died for our sins. So we love them in light of that. So that means sometimes doing really hard things. That means saying, talking to people, confronting sin. It, it may appear, so again, loving someone in this way, loving them in truth, it may appear hurtful or unloving to the world around us. But true love wants to see someone saved rather than feel good about themselves. So if someone's living in sin, the loving thing to do is to confront them in that sin. An, un, excuse me, an unloving thing to do would be to sit there and say nothing. So, so we must love them with the end goal to see their soul saved, right? To save them, to see them turn from death to life. And so again, the question for us, because I, th- I think what John's getting at, it's, and he's sort of alluded to it in the justice video, right? It's not, what more can we do? Like, how, how can we work harder at loving others? Um, you know, it's not, let's go make a list of loving others. But the point is, is to look to Christ, right? He's get, John's given us a definition of love, and it's, it's a person. The definition of love is, is Christ, and so we can only love more if we're in him. We can only love more. The more we look to Christ, the more we love. Because that love is an overflow of the love he's given us. It's not anything we do to earn his salvation. That love is an overflow of what he has done for us. And so again, how do we love each other more? It's only through seeing how Christ laid down his life for us how he came to love us. That is the heart of the gospel. That's the heart of love. And so, so when we talk about mer- this whole series is mercy, right? And so how do we show mercy? It's look at what Christ, how Christ showed us mercy. That's, that's how we, it's an overflow of what he has done for us. So again, and even justice, right? It, we want to talk about justice, you know, a lot of people say, like, I, I need to be shown justice. Justice wasn't served. You know, Christ is the example of justice. The most unjust thing that ever happened was Jesus dying on the cross. That is the most unjust. Nothing in the world ever compares. I mean, just think about it. God sent his son, his perfect son, who he had perfect communion with, to suffer and die. He poured out his wrath on his son. That, that's the definition of injustice. You, we, no one can understand justice apart from Christ, apart from what Christ did on the cross. In the same way, no one can understand true love 
apart from Christ. And so for us, as we look at one another at our church, it's just how can we show that? How, how can we then show that love to others? So let me pray and we'll be done. God, we just, Lord, we thank you that we can even be here tonight, that you have shown your love for us. Lord, we, we don't deserve it. God, I just pray that you would help us to understand just how we can love one another. Because we don't, Lord. Lord, we know our hearts. We know the roots of bitterness and anger and jealousy that we have toward one another. So, God, I just I ask that you would forgive us. Just, just help us to see others around us with the eyes that you see us of love and compassion. And so I just pray that you would help us to look to you because um, you are our only hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.